Welcome to the Nix, where we talk about pop culture until we can't stand it anymore, and we nix it. I'm Fanny Darling. And I'm Justin Hartung. As always, a quick warning, there will be spoilers for anything we talk about on this podcast, but we'll do our best to let you know that they're coming. This week, we talk about Emmy nominations, we're going to check in on some of our favorite shows, and we're sharing hidden gems for TVs, books, movies, comics, and music. I.e., we didn't see Stuber, and we have no thoughts about it. like to start out with a plea to rate and review us on the podcast app of your choice they say it helps people i'm saying it because we always say it and i also have going to bring back dumb stuff that maybe nobody else cares about but it bothers me that i said that maggie megan kelly accused uh roger ailes of sexual harassment she accused bill o'reilly and it was uh gretchen carlson who naomi watts is playing on the loudest voice that that brought down roger ailes and that's my dumb stuff that I said. It happens. It does. Pop culture this week. What'd you do, Justin? So I finished uh, 3%, which is a show that I have talked about many times on this podcast. It was a uh, third season on Netflix. It is a Brazilian show. I keep laying all the groundwork because I want everybody to hear about it and watch it. It is fantastic. It has gotten better and better. Uh, this season was really about uh, once you achieve your utopia, I think I've talked about this before in exactly the same way, how can it go wrong? Hey, surprise, it can go wrong in many ways. Uh, this is an excellent show. Uh, Joanna is the uh, sort of freedom fighter character in the show. She is, I really need to learn this actor's name. She's incredible. Surprisingly, out of nowhere I did not see this coming the show turned into a queer love story um, and that's the kind of most uh, honorable characters at the heart of it which is a very slippery concept on this show because everybody is sort of good and bad very quickly all the time but not in a soap opera way in a very like our lives are desperate way like who knows how we're going to sort of survive in this moment they do crazy terrible things often but the one who is sort of the heart of the show uh, Joanna is turning out to be um, a queer which I did not see coming and also be sort of movingly resistant to her queerness but not in any sort of self-loathing homophobic way more just because she's like I'm trying to survive I've had no time to even think about pleasure or sensuality or sexuality and her kind of opening up about it uh, to a, another female character on the show is really fucking moving and the show is so terrific and so well done and they've done this great thing where spoilers for 3% uh, without giving away too much, because I really want people to watch this show. They've moved all of the first season characters back into very, I want to say, primary positions. And there's better be a fourth season, because they've set it up really well, of like, okay, how do we now take all these things we've learned and put this towards making the world a better place? I love this show so much, everybody. It's great. Watch it. 3%. Um, I also watched, uh, on the recommendation of Friend of the Pod and my coworker, um, Marisa Hines, Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson. It is a 2007 documentary about a uh, trans, maybe drag queen. It's sort of not super clear what her identity was, because I think also things were different back then. Uh, this may have been a trans woman who just didn't have the language or agency there yeah uh but was this amazing sort of outsized personality 
um, who was there at the Stonewall riots, was a, definitely a key player in the 69 Stonewall riots, um, was a black sort of trans uh, activist, I, I would say, probably is the closest guess around it, um, died a very mysterious death uh, in the 90s and uh, was basically you know, ruled as a suicide very quickly by the notoriously, at the time, homophobic NYPD. And uh, this uh, woman basically, I'm forgetting her name, I think it's Victoria, I'm blowing her name, Victoria Cruz, another trans woman of color, um, reopens this case to investigate what actually happened. Uh, She strongly believes it was a murder. uh, And this is a little bit of spoilers, but I think it's important to talk about. All the gay bars at the time were run by the mafia, and basically, Marsha and her friend uh, Sylvia Rivera, who's another trans woman who's now actually alive and identifies as trans and was homeless for a time, and that's another whole subplot of this story. Um, but basically, she was really speaking out with Marsha about the mob control of these gay bars and how maybe the price of being able to operate was not price of worth. And they sort of touched on this in pose in the first season. Absolutely. So, uh, this is a phenomenal show. I, I, I mean, a phenomenal documentary. It's on, um, uh, Netflix right now. It was 2017 that it debuted. There is some controversy around it that I think I should bring up. Uh, David France, I believe is the director's name. He is a gay, cis, white man. Uh, he was accused by a trans activist, and I'm blanking on her name, and I'm really sorry. I should not do that. Um, but she basically said she was working on a fictional uh, story about Marsha P. Johnson. Um, It was a short fictional film. I I don't know the full details, so I don't want to speak too authoritatively about this, but uh, she has accused uh, David France of basically stealing her intellectual property uh, sort of around the story. He claims that he knew uh, Marsha P. Johnson back in the, you know, 90s and 80s. Um, I don't know enough to speak around this except to say that there's some controversy around this. And I think it does raise some questions about, um, you know, who can tell stories and, you know, what sort of what those boundaries were. I, I wasn't there enough to know about it. Um, I don't I think I should speak any further on it other than to say check check out the movie and then read up on it because it's a really interesting story. And the main takeaway is that Marsha B. Johnson was a really amazing community activist and well-loved and just full of life and probably died a mysterious death. Uh, well, definitely died a mysterious death, but probably died a death that was misrepresented in some level there's clearly enough facts that don't add up and that's heartbreaking and also the story of sylvia rivera who is her best friend and fellow activist who there are shots of her living like on the hudson river Mm -hmm. like docks basically Mm -hmm. homeless and kind of out of out of drag or whatever out of trans identity because you clearly she just had no money to do anything um and she comes around and it's sort of her story of uh recovery which is really moving sort of like one person dies and is forgotten and sort of slandered by the the cops and another person survives so it's really fucking moving and everybody check this show out um and that makes a good segue into shows that we want to talk about together pose uh season two of pose uh fresh off some emmy wins which we'll talk about in a little bit um but we wanted to talk some emmy nominations yes nominations we wanted to talk a little bit about the uh second season which is is it halfway through it's probably more than halfway through at this point i think it's only i think it's a at least 12 episodes and there's only been 
four, oh, maybe five. Okay. So, right. so we're, we're approaching halfway mark, okay. but not haven't quite made it yet. What have you been thinking of Poe's season two so far? We both obviously loved the first season. Right. I still love all the characters. Um, I am super glad they've gotten rid of the whole, like, white rich guys subplots. Um, not, wasn't interesting at all. I, I feel like there's a little bit of trying to find what its story arc is this season. I This is a little bit of Ryan Murphy's issue after a solid first season. He doesn't, he sort of goes, oh, and then I want to do all of this stuff. And then he does all of the stuff and you don't know what the hell he's doing. Um, but I, I still enjoy it every week. I just want it to be slightly more cohesive. What do you think? I'm right there with you. Um, I think that's exactly right about the Murphy uh, syndrome. And I wonder sometimes if it's like everybody involved in this is like, how long will this last? We got to cram everything in that we want to do. Um, exactly. I love that he is letting Janet mock direct and right. Right. I mean, not let, but you know, encouraging right. all of these great uh, trans women of color, um, both in the cast and behind the scenes. But I do get a sense that maybe they've lost a little bit of the, arc of the season which is fine because these lives were probably pretty chaotic that they're right. representing and i think it's always trying to be true to um good and bad things happen in a moment and the show absolutely that. And maybe that's one of the like you know benefits or pleasures of of soap operas and the way people talk down about them but like sometimes that's what they're trying to express is that life can come at you fast in all angles um but I do think we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, most recent episode. Spoilers for Pose, if you've not yeah. seen it. One category, two category, three category. Uh, they killed uh, Candy Fab Fabulosity. I'm gonna blow yeah, fab- I think it's Fabulosity. Um, she was a f- clearly a fan favorite. Uh, you know, just wise mouth, uh, but also just brought a gravitas. The actor, again, blowing my actors this uh, episode, but she really was so present in that role. Um, Absolutely. I I did hear that she was already cast in American Horror Story, whatever the next Ryan Murphy. It's 1984. 1984. So maybe that had something to do with it. Uh, They had her basically murdered in um, a kind of a John situation with a, you know, sex working situation. Very realistic, probably happened all the time and probably happened out of the blue. Um, And the show is about sort of everybody reckoning with her as her being sort of a really sometimes uncomfortably truthful mirror back at people. Um, I loved so much of that episode. I thought it was great. I just feel like it just to me was like, why did you do this with that character? And it didn't. I don't know that we've had very consistent arcs building up to that. But again, this is show is maybe tearing down arcs because right. arcs aren't how life works. So that's fair. I'm that's torn very in true. Both ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. Still- I still love the show. I'm. It's not nothing. It's not going to make me stop watching it. I don't think that it's had enough of a dip to make me feel like it's not at even on par with season one, because what it lost from season one, the things that that I think we're forgetting about season one in our kind of nostalgic haze are there were these weird, horrible subplots with all of the rich white people. And, you know, there was a, a lot of that. And losing that is worth gaining the authenticity of these characters in their daily life. Yeah. Um, but it's not, uh, it's not batting 100, but yeah. it's, it would go to 100 in my mind. If they really sat down and said, 
what's going to happen to these characters. And right. you can still convey that sense of immediacy and uh, surprise and unexpected catastrophe and joy, but move things towards an arc. And maybe they will. Maybe we should finish the season to figure that out. But we were both talking earlier about, you know, things like Angel and Poppy's, like, uh, right. romance thing. Either do it or don't. Yeah, um, don't do this. Do- will they, won't they stuff? Just do it. Electra quitting uh, every house at every second. Right. Just quit it. Um, poor Ricky and his boyfriend have sort of just been shunted to the side. Uh, what happened to his dance career? Oh, well, he's still he's still okay. yeah. They they they've talked a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, they're just there. There are some storylines that I think just need some smoothing. Right, general. agreed. Agreed. Um, but still love it. Still watch it every week. Billy Porter earns every minute of his uh, airtime. He's incredible uh, i'm mostly enjoying sandra bernhard speaking yeah, of the one white person in the show she's um, not a good actor but she's great when she does this sort of angry lesbian activist character which is i think who sandra bernhard is to be fair they just point totally. a camera at her and say be angry and she says okay yeah. and she's fascinating to watch and i love know? that there's all this madonna stuff happening in the background when it was like rumored right? that they were dating oh, or they were yeah, like best they, friends back then mm-hmm. so it's, yep. it's kind of fun to watch all of that um yeah, and the balls are still fun, and um, yeah, I like that they made a better character out of uh, Candy's house co-mother, whose name I'm forgetting, but uh, I thought this this last episode really was like, oh, she's good, too, right. and I would like to see where she goes, so. Yep. Um, cool. Pose. Another show that we both like um, to varying degrees. I can't quit you. I can't quit us. Uh, can't quit it. Handmaid's Tale, also in season, well, it's in season three. three. Um, about halfway through. About. Yep. Um, what do you think of it? I can tell every single one of these episodes that was directed and or written by a man. It's true. I can tell because the shots of Elizabeth Moss glaring into the camera while some pithy fucking rock song plays are like three times as long. And I am... Okay, we get it. You're mad. Okay, we got you. We were there in season one. We're all mad. Stop it. It's not cute. It's not funny. It's becoming fucking demeaning. Stop it. Just let the... It's not cute anymore. It Literally, every time they have her do that, it's begun to make me angry. And I can tell... I, I call him every single time. Okay, so I'm halfway through it. This, this show has made me mad five times. A guy directed it. I, I go, look, it's a man every single time. Um, I'm not going to give up on this show. I don't know what's keeping me from giving up on this show. I, I, I still enjoy it. I think it is still well acted. I just think we have a little bit of you are looking at the wrong things and you are concentrating on the wrong ideas. Not even ideas, but you're you're looking at this from one very pointed point of view, which is this, oh, look, she's angry and isn't, you know, we can be kind of ironic with our song choices. And we, as a people who are angry and who are your target audience, we were there in 2016. We're done now. Start moving it forward. And that's that's how I feel about Handmaid's Tale. What do you think, Justin? I love that. You've just almost sold me on hating it <laughs> completely. Um, and I, I see all those problems. Right. And I, But I also really love the acting. And I do think the one thing I can say in defense of that is that they capture um, 
I mean, this season especially, well, spoilers for Handmaid's Tale, I think they're leaning into, um, you know, at what point does that sort of anger, um, you know, whatever, curdle and turn on the people that you should be helping? Um, I mean, that's a very good sort of white woman sort of uh, feminist sort of critique, I think, was something that's all been kind of in the news this year, except that they also keep killing characters of color, like, in very weird ways. I mean, I think that episode was, I, I would need to think about it a little more before I said anything, but it's very much about uh, her sort of, you know, counterpart who's a believer, who's a woman of color, and how she ends her story very suddenly and somewhat unpredictably and yeah. maybe not believably. Um, yeah. So there's and a lot. I have as much parental empathy as friggin' anybody. First off, I would have taken my baby and gotten out and figured out another way to get that kid that is perfectly safe. Right. Secondly, oh my God, really? Well, the person that you're supposed to be taking care of is losing her fucking mind and you might like lose your life because you've brought her into the situation you're gonna caress a wall because you hear your kid laughing shut up yeah shut up we're parents aren't this stupid we're not this dumb we're not this paralyzed by the idea of our children that we cannot fight for them that we cannot see the correct path to getting them out it's insulting and it's stupid and i'm not even sure i i you know in my typical devil's advocate way i'm thinking of ways like oh but it's it's not critiquing that i don't think we're supposed to have any thoughts about i mean maybe other than like she's hurting her fellow handmaids but um yeah absolutely i think we're supposed to think that her quest for her original child is the most noble end-all thing and fucking i get it you know i i get it yeah i i but there's not much you could do to convince me to leave my kid in 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 some sort of peril right but, but it's the lens, right? It's the James Cameron right. like get away from her, you bitch. Right. Sort of aliens, like yeah, the Molly Weasley, not my daughter, you bitch. Yeah. and I get it. But also, the kid is relatively safe, and you can fight for her better somewhere else. Right, and you had a chance. And we're not stupid. Yeah, we're as women and as as parents, we are not so crippled by our need to be near our children that we're stupid and that we can't fight. On the completely opposite side, I am enjoying the season. Um, Samira Wiley and yeah, uh, absolutely, what's her name's character from of Rory, as yeah. I call her, Gilmore yeah. Girls. Uh, Rory, what is her? What's her actual name? I can't think. I can't something Calhoun. Yeah, but um, the, I think those scenes have been really good. Yeah, um, Alexis Bledel. There. Alexis Bledel. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's still enough that I love. I also did love the, uh, I know a lot of people didn't like it. I loved the Ann Dowd, Aunt Lydia backstory. I thought that was really well done. I thought it was well um, done. I, I thought, it, I mean, Ann Dowd's great. I I didn't know that it was super necessary. I didn't not enjoy, enjoy it. I It was interesting and it was. And they didn't really tie it together at the end. They sort of right. fumbled the And you could a see bit, how but. somebody like that would end up in that type of position. I also want to give a shout, shout out to Clea Duvall, who is doing great work. Uh, and Clea Duvall, I'm so happy to have her back her in so the much. world. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to quit you. I don't think you're a bad show. I'm super looking forward to Testaments uh, in uh, on in September, which is the uh, Margaret Atwood's follow up to her original novel, which is supposed to be separate from the show. I'm really interested to see, in light of this, where she takes it because it is supposed to be very separate, and we'll see. 
And speaking of the Pose Electra problem, um, I mean, Serena has the exact same problem. We're just oh going to call God. it. She's in, know. she's out, she's in, she's yeah, out. She's fat, she's thin, she's fat, she's thin. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. It's, no, it's not, that's not working. Um, and then what a waste of Serena. And now if they do and some reversal, it's just like, come on. Yep. Um, all right. What do you got in pop culture? Pop culture. I watched HBO's uh, two-part documentary on the, I don't remember the girl's name now, uh, the girl who convinced her boyfriend or texted her boyfriend while he was killing himself and encouraged him to continue to kill himself. Uh, It's called I Love You Now Die. And it was a famous case that was about two years ago that they, they took her to court for manslaughter because she had... While he was committing suicide, she had encouraged him, and at one point he called her. He'd gotten out of the car. He was it was a, a carbon monoxide situation, and he'd gotten out of the car. And she told him to get back in the car. Now, both of these children were a seventeen and eighteen years old. They were both severely medicated, highly medicated for severe clinical depression and issues like that. Um, this was a toxic toxic situation and do i think that she handled herself morally no do i think that she was guilty of manslaughter no is that what ended up getting convicted of well you can watch the show yes she did end up getting (laughs) convicted of uh, manslaughter she will be eligible for parole in a couple of years now i think um and going in i had a bit of I, I had less information. I wasn't quite the Nancy Grace, you know, taunting, isn't she the worst thing in the world? But I did think more harshly of her than uh, the first episode kind of takes the story, his story of Cameron, I can't think of his last name right now, uh, but basically tells his story. And the second half is her is the defense so it's sort of the prosecution and the defense and so it tries to be very even it does end up kind of falling more on on you know i think it falls more on the side of mental illness and awareness and dealing with that than it does on either of these children's side uh but the the michelle uh cam something michelle is her last name her she and her family never spoke to the to the documentarians and uh, the the boys family did, but it still ends up being very sympathetic to the girl as well, which I kind of liked. This is not an easy film to sit through. I did think it was very fair and somewhat interesting and brought up a lot of really interesting topics when it comes to our children and social media and how much we don't know about what they're doing in their lives and the relationships that they can build having only seen each other four or five times and the disconnect of people through their from their families and through their how you feel like you can make bigger connections through your devices and it was fascinating if you can handle two hours and 20 minutes it's worth it i can't say i recommend it so much as i think it's worth watching Cool. I'll check it out. Uh, stars. I again. I got five dollar stars for the summer, so I grabbed it. I caught up on Power. This is a fine show. Um, the guy that plays Tommy, I just absolutely love him. Joseph Stryka, I think something like that. It sounds like somebody's going to punch you in the eye, <laughs> and he plays a character who's going to punch you, punch you in the eye. I think he's the best thing on this show. I hope he goes off and does a million things. He's great. 
it's not a great show. It's just, you know, a story about kind of, you know, bad people doing bad things and maybe something good will happen. But again, another one of those on Showtime, Ray Donovan. I, I'm off for the summer, guys, so I'm watching a lot of stuff that I'd mixed, <laughs> miss, missed out on. Uh, I thought I was a half a season behind on Ray Donovan. It turned out I was two seasons behind. So uh, I'm catching up on that. What I have learned from that is Paula Malcolmson is a fucking gift. Every casting agent out there, cast Paula Malcolmson. She is so great. She what plays. Else she, uh, she was in The Hunger Games. She was on Deadwood. She was in Sons of Anarchy. She's a blonde Irish actor. She's great. She plays Ray's wife. She is frigging fabulous. And I forget how wonderful she is until I watch her and stuff. Also on Star is Sweet Bitter. First two episodes of season two has dropped. This show doesn't know where it's going in season two. It knows it has something in Paul Sparks, which it's right. It does. And they're showing more of him and he's being weirder and quirkier. Make the show about him. They're beyond the book content, right? Yeah, this I think so. Up. Yeah, okay. now make it about Sasha, the weird Russian guy who may or may not have just lost his green card, so probably she's going to end up marrying him, and Paul Sparks, because those are your only two interesting characters. Don't care about the rest of them. I will still watch the rest of the show, because that's who I am. Uh, quick update on The Rook. It's not interesting. It's bad. It's boring. Please read the book by Daniel O'Malley, which is quirky and wonderful and has like vampires and shit in it and is really interesting and wonderful. And please watch it. Don't watch this show. Please read this book. Um, And then we switch to two really, really bad reality shows that I'm watching now. Um, I'm watching summer off. July off. (laughs) Love Island, which is on CBS. It's on five days a week, people. It is uh, the American version of a UK show, and it's about a whole bunch of really, really attractive, really stupid people in a hotel hooking up, and you have to hook up or you have to leave. It's called Love Island. There's an app. Bisexual? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no. No, no, no. Oh, actually, one of them is bisexual, but she's with a guy right now. But her last girlfriend, her last relationship was two years and was with a girl. And the guy, when he heard that, like, freaked out, like, in a whoo type of, like, really awful straight guy. I told you I kissed a girl once way. Yeah. There is a guy on there that says, like, more than you, me, and Sydney combined. (laughs) And nothing else. He's a complete moron. And then I also started watching with Parker on Lifetime, Marrying Millions. Okay. Yeah, this is about people that have convinced millionaires to marry them. Now, you would think they're all young girls that are convincing old codgers, a la Anna Nicole Smith and all that, to marry them. No, there are are women who have really stupid, like, 20-year-old boys going to marry them. And there's one that was, she used to be married to a baseball player, and now she says she's 37. She's 214 if she's a day. <laughs> and as Sydney said, she has bought out all the cheek implants. Nobody else can ever get a cheek implant because she's had them all. <laughs> and her boyfriend's like 23 and her daughter's best friend. So that's what I'm watching. Okay. <laughs> That's what I did in pop culture. Uh, Moving point, on. Points for honesty. Uh, should we talk about the Emmys? Sure, why not? Uh, okay, so the Emmy nominations were announced today. 
Um, should I go first or should you go first? Uh, go Doesn't first. Matter. I'll go. I have very little, so I'll go first. Uh, I don't really pay too much attention to the Emmys or what's won in the past. As Fanny reminded me today, I don't really like TV. So. <laughs> very true. He doesn't. <laughs> this is something you've probably deduced on your own if you've listened to this podcast enough. I keep thinking I'd enjoy it, but I really couldn't. Why would I keep watching this? He um, never keeps watching. I start a lot of shows. Um, Billy Porter. Pose, love, yay, super happy. I think everybody would would have been happy if some of the you know women in the show got some sort of nods. Uh, I think Fanny and I both think that they're worthy compared to some of the competition, but there's also some room to grow uh, for some of them. So I think maybe they just keep growing, and we'll see where that goes. But I'm really happy that the show got some recognition in general, and Billy Porter is just... Should be Ugh. everywhere all the time in everything. Um, I was really happy about Christina Applegate, uh, Dead to Me, show we talked about. Um, I think I made even some stink on that episode about she better get some sort of... Well, she just wins that show. She's fantastic in it. Um, Handmaid's Tale, wow. Uh, really shut and out. Cherry Jones. Yeah, none of the... Like, is this the first time that, you know, Moss didn't get one? And yep. None of the writing and none of the... Nope. Yeah, very few things. Um Endowed nothing? Has nope. she been called? I don't out know. I don't know. I'll um, have to look that up. Yeah, I mean I think it goes to show a lot that people are dissatisfied with the show. Yep. Uh this next thing, I know it's why, partly. Um Smilf, a show we've raved and raved and raved about. Both of these shows. Probably would have been eligible, right? Um yeah. Yeah, obviously the the creator Frankie Shaw um, got into some trouble uh, with sort of uncomfortable work situations, set situations for people, uh, and I'm guessing that's why. And also the show was canceled, and people probably don't like to keep supporting. But man, talk about a show that needed some Emmys. Rosie O'Donnell <sighs> never got an Emmy nomination. Uh, did she? I don't think Frankie Shaw ever got one. Uh, and uh, definitely uh, your favorite. Um, Connie Britton? Yes, who was yep. sidelined a bit in the last season, yep. but um, was still excellent. Uh, you know, her friend, her ex-husband, like yep. everybody on that show is... Uh, yep. The woman who was, uh, you know, made the accusations, oh, fantastic. There should have been enemies coming out of the show. It's a fucking crime. Hugo, what's his butts? Yes. Yeah, we're really killing it on these names. Yep. Samara Weaver? Sa- no. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. I don't know where that came out of. Because um, Hugo. Weaving. Right. Weaving. Okay. <laughs> um, better things. Man, this pisses me off because the scandals there clearly were not her fault. Um, yeah. This show is incredible. And um, yeah, her work on this show every week just floors me. Um, I don't know why more people aren't watching the show. It's too subtle, I guess, in the same way that Smilf is. It's on FX, which nobody actually wants to watch, but uh, I feel like it was on top of its game. I cannot wait for the next season of that show. Give some Emmy love to better things, please. That's insane. Um, all right, what else you got about the Emmys? Okay, Fiona Shaw, nominated in two categories. Nominated for both um, Killing Eve. Ah, eh. oh, she was great in that. Well, but because she's, but not last season, this season. Yeah. Um, she's always pretty good. Yes. And for Fleabag, just give Fleabag all the Emmys. Just here you go. You 12 perfect and episodes. It got a lot, right? Just, it did. Okay. It did. Happy about that. Waller Bridge got nominated. Um, her sister got nominated. Uh, yeah, it got tons of nominations. But Fiona Shaw got two. Olivia Coleman got nominated for it. Um, but I just love that because she's so wonderful that if she puts you, if you put her on the screen, she's going to get nominated. Um, four out of the six supporting actress noms went to Game of Thrones. 
That's crazy. I, I get it's the end, and these are all good performances. This is Gwendolyn Christie. This is, you know, Turner and Williams, and uh, I can't think of who the fourth person was. And is this for the final um, season? Yeah. And this is Lena, Lena Headley, probably. Yes, too, it right? was Lena Headley. So, um, I mean, these are all good performances, but four out of six, really? And did, uh, what's her name? Emilia, Emilia Clark didn't get. Not for the nomination. And these are supporting, yeah, too, supporting. and she wouldn't have been so. Right, who do you think will win? Of the, do you think one of them will take it? I, I really hope they give it to Fiona Shaw. That'd be awesome. They should do that. Let's just root for that. But that's, I'm just, if, if Fleabag is nominated, Fleabag wins. That's, yeah. You write 12 perfect episodes. You have 12 perfectly acted and outrageously good, and I could watch them every single day and not get tired of it. You screw this last season of Game of Thrones. I don't care it's the last season. Give it... Actually give it to the people who are good at what they're doing and love what they're doing and are still really good at it. Yeah, I don't and, think uh, any of those Game of Thrones actors were allowed to do anything because the writing no, let them No, they weren't. Yeah. And I'm not saying, I'm not, these are all actors I support and want to see do other things. I'm not saying that. I'm yeah. just saying that in the true spirit of this category, give this to Fiona Shaw. She was so good. She stole the scene she was in. And that's, anyway. Uh, I'm still not going to watch the Kaminsky method. I don't care how many people you nominate for it. I'm not watching this show. I still can't remember what it is. Yeah, it's about some it. show with like Michael Douglas yeah, and a whole done. bunch of other old Check, white guys I, about acting, I guess. I'm not watching this show. Stop nominated. This is how I felt when they kept nominating baskets for things. <laughs> I'm not watching baskets. It's not going to, I don't care who you nominate for baskets. I'm not going to fucking watch it. Louis Anderson is pretty great in baskets, but not enough for me to. I know. Talk about that show ever on this podcast. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to watch Kaminsky Methods, and I'm not watching Basket. Stop it. Just go somewhere else. Andy McDowell Jr. got got nominated for her work in Fosse Verdon. I'm guessing probably because she's Andy McDowell Jr. That is not actually her name. Her name is something Quali. Oh, oh, okay. She played Anne Ranking in right. Fosse Verdon. She, she was fine. She wasn't offensive, but... I do not understand this nomination at all, except that she's somebody famous's kid. Did Michelle Williams get it, a nomination? Yes. Okay. I believe that she okay. did. Yes, she did. Uh, Niecy Nash was nominated for When They See Us. If Niecy Nash gets, wins this, maybe I'll have to go out and get my Niecy Nash tattoo that I keep dreaming of because she's the best. I am so happy anytime Niecy Nash yep. gets any love. She is so wonderful. I love her so much. That's my Emmy thoughts. Cool. Uh, should we jump into Hidden Gems? Sure. Uh, this is the second time we've done this. Maybe third. I can't Could remember. Be. Um, these are things that are um, either books, movies, TV, or music. Often just a few books and music. But uh, hey. things that we think aren't getting enough attention that are worth your while. Uh, and we try to pick things that you can find on um, your various streaming services and not something random that you'd have to go, you know. Uh, trade a kidney for some weird laser disc for. Um, wow, that was really interesting. <laughs> wow, okay. Went dark. Um, what do you got, Fanny? Okay, I got a start out with a book duology, just because I like to say duology. <laughs> it's by a writer named Lish, uh, Lish McBride. Lish McBride hails from the Pacific Northwest. She's super wonderful. Uh, her debut novel was Hold Me Closer, Necromancer, followed up by Necromancing the Stone. This is a, I would call it new adult. These are 20s, early 20-somethings work in fast food. One of them finds out that he is a necromancer and wackiness ensues. Um, these are wonderful books. They include a funny little band of gnomes that uh, name them 
themselves after pop culture, including uh, Noam Chomsky and Chuck the Norriser and Twinkle, the Destroyer. <laughs> These are fabulous, funny, sweet, really good books. I happen to know that Lish McBride, seven years after Hold Me Closer, Necromancer came out, has only just earned out on that book. So support writers who are somehow managing to live hand to mouth uh, doing this. And she still sells books on the regular, but that's how much it takes to actually be a writer that's surviving doing this. Seven years to earn out on a small advance. That's nothing. So and is necromancing the stone definitely riffing off the movie? Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. The no, absolutely. Of, it's the romance tropes. Yes, is that exactly. Part of it? Okay. I mean, that's the title. It, it, right. the, the, the the type of novels that they are not so much, but they're they're wonderful. Lish McBride has a great sense of humor. They're really really fun. You can't go wrong with any of her books. But I would start with Hold Me Closer, Necromancer. Oh, is that an Elton John joke? Yes. I didn't get it. Okay. Yes. Hold me closer. Tiny dancer. <laughs> hold me closer. Necromancer. Um, it's you. It's her first novel that she published. It's really, really good. Characters. Uh, first character's name is Sawin. He goes by Sam. Um, really fun. Um, just cannot go wrong. And I like supporting writers that you may not have heard of that need a little bit of boosting. And speaking of, how do you spell her first name? Because it's in the notes. L I S H. H. Okay. Yes, it's not. It. Yeah, it, okay. the autocorrect went Lish a little nuts. McBride. There. Yeah, okay, Lish we'll McBride. put this in the notes too for anybody yep. who wants to check this stuff out. Um, all right, I'll do my first one. Uh, speaking of shows that Fanny will love to tease me that I talked about on Hidden Gems and then never watched again, yep. I'm going to try it. Uh, it's called Kiss Me First. It came out, I believe, last year. It is a BBC show on Netflix uh, created by Brian. Elzy, I don't know if that's how you say his name, but he apparently was one of the co-creators of Skins, that creepy teen sex show that I really hated. Um, So I was not really expecting much out of this, except that it was sort of, the premise was intriguing. It's sort of in a pitch, in a very cynical pitch, uh, a show version of the Black Mirror episode, um, I'm blanking on the name, where the two women fall in love in the Second Life alternate reality San Junipero. Yeah, San Junipero. It's got a lot of that in its DNA. It's about these characters who are kind of miserable and broken playing in a Second Life kind of game. It is very queer. Uh, There's a mystery at the heart of it about what this crew of... Uh, people that have sort of banded together in this video game are about. Are they like a cult? Are they up to good things? Are they up to bad things? Uh, There's a lot of computer-generated, like, video game cutscenes in it. I don't know what you call that exactly. They're very cheesy and uncanny valley and off-putting, but it sort of knows that and sort of works around that. And um, the performances are phenomenal. I think the writing is fairly good. Um, I've heard that it gets bad. I'm three episodes in. There's only six episodes. They're like an hour each. Um, I'm going to, I swear, I'm going to try and keep going. This is an easy thing to hold me to next week. Um, so at least I should have watched one more. Um, and if I bail, I bail. But uh, I, so far, I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, the Gloat Goat says Lodge 49. Kiss me first on Netflix. Uh, what's your second one? Okay, so Noelle Stevenson is a graphic novelist, well, very well known for doing some work on Runaways uh, at the end of the Brian K. Vaughn runs. Um, 
actually possibly at the beginning of Rainbow Rowell's runs, uh, but more famous, she does Lumberjanes, which is a huge series. 2015, she did a little graphic standalone novel called Nimona, which is about a young woman who wants to become a super villain, and so she becomes sort of the shadow, almost like, you know, the little dog that wants to hang out with Spike in the cartoons. Come on, Spike, what are we going to do today? We're going to chase cars? Right. This was Nimona, and she follows the super villain around and tries to learn from him, and it is possibly one of the most charming graphic novels I've ever read. It also is very touching and wonderful, and I keep hoping there will be another one. So far, Noelle Stevenson has left it alone. Uh, it's fairly well-known. It gets a lot of love in graphic novel like circles, but if you think you're not a comic person, if you think you're not like this graphic novel thing, just you don't need the pictures... This is, a, they're super simple drawings. It's much more this very sweet story, and it's really worth checking out, and it's very, very funny. Very That's, touching, very funny, really good. Sounds like something I'd like. Yeah, it's wonderful. Cool. I next up have Peter Lou, the Mike Lee movie. I've talked a lot about Mike Lee on this podcast. He's probably my favorite working filmmaker, a uh, British filmmaker, made a gazillion movies that have launched uh, a bazillion careers of people that you know from much later, like, oh, that person was from a Mike Lee movie. Um, this movie came out last year in England, uh, was originally hyped up as a sort of a Oscar favorite. It premiered, and I think most American critics went, huh, what, boring. Um, it's not. It's fantastic. It's on Amazon Prime, who I think uh, funded it a bit. It is uh, about the 1819 Manchester uh, riots that turned into essentially a massacre um, as sort of working class Brits basically fought for their rights. Uh, this was after the Napoleonic Wars and basically, um, you know, there were just no uh, workers' rights. And it was a very much a foundational thing for what we know today as American democracy or what we uh, <laughs> like to pretend that we base our country on. Um, not so much lately. But uh, this, so if you've seen Lincoln, a movie I really don't like where there's a lot of speechifying and people rallying the masses and whatever. And that movie is everything you hate about that concept. This movie is electrifying as people rally the masses. Yeah, his performances are so good. It builds to this truly horrifying massacre, but along the way finds time for great little side bits and humor. He makes a movie about a worker's, you know, uprising, um, hilarious and funny this is like there's a sense of importance where somebody's like are you looking for something miss and she's kind of like just the mouse droppings under your like butt like move like this woman just basically cleaning the seats and the you know there's just little touches that are so mike lee and uh peter lou it is awesome it is two and a half hours it is a bit of a history lesson i didn't know a ton about the history it was fascinating um he also has done some other period pieces, uh, the Gilbert and Sullivan movie and uh, the movie about uh, uh, Mr. Walker, which is about the famous British uh, artist who did all the ships at sea. I didn't actually love those as much because they were sort of in the way that biopics can be. They were a little stagnant. This has a real like the story is the thing and the, the history of it. It's really great. Um, it's very much overlooked. Uh, check it out. What's your third one? Um, a 2002 movie. Uh, okay, right now, 
freaking Twilight jumped off into Fifty Shades of Grey, which everybody and their brother read, and oh, Mr. Grey and Mr. That. And when I first heard the term Mr. Grey, I thought somebody was remaking this movie. This is a, this is a 2002 movie about actual for real BDSM and... Going into what that means, uh, it's called Secretary. It's directed by uh, Stephen uh, Shaneberg. It's, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, stars James Spader and Maggie Gillianhall, also Leslie Ann Warren and Jeremy Davies. Based on a pretty famous book, too. I I believe it is based on a book, yes. Um, It is wonderful. (laughs) It's you know, of course, it has its sexual themes, which are, you know, so, sometimes titillating, sometimes a little disturbing. Um, but characters who, A, ha- everybody has agency, everybody understands what they're signing on to. Nobody is abusive in this movie at all. Um, but also a true story. Uh, it's a true romance, but also a story about overcoming a crappy family and a crappy relationship and making your own decisions. Very young Gillian all. Um, she's wonderful. I remember seeing her in this and just being blown away and not really knowing, you know, who she was. And then she went on to, you know, kind of get you know, well-known, especially for an ad, being an actor's actor, as is James Spader, actually, strangely. And this was when, uh, you know, right after he kind of stopped being the, the creepy teen hero and then was the scuzzbag and everything, this is one of the first ones where he came back, you know, Sex, Lives, and Videotape was probably about 10 years before this, and then he, this was more of a role where you kind of saw him as an actor, and... It's so worth checking out. It's really good. It clips along. It's sexy. It's touching. And it gives you an actual idea of what this lifestyle is like instead of this glossy, titillating, abusive nonsense that's not true. And it's great. It's really great. And I recommend anyone watch it. It's one of those that I... I if I see it's on I end up watching it I I own it I really enjoy it every time it's on cool so I'm gonna wrap up with a song uh this is my want uh Purple Mountains is a band that is newly formed again a bad title for Fanny um the guy in it and I'm forgetting his name it is David Berman uh used to be in a band called the Silver Jews another terrible name um and they worked with Stephen Malcolmus from Pavement back in the day so it's there's some pedigree here is all I'm saying uh he has had a really intense um kind of last couple years he disappeared from the music scene I want to read something from the Pitchfork uh, website about this album. David Berman has had a life full of flamboyant bleakness, a one-time crack addict. He once deliberately overdosed and headed to the same hotel room Al Gore awaited the 2000 election recount in, saying, I want to die where the presidency died. After his band Silver Jews broke up in 2009, he became a hermit. His wife eventually left him. He also revealed his longtime hatred for his Washington lobbyist father and quit music to write a takedown expose of him, which hasn't emerged. <laughs> um, this guy is a fucking character. Uh, this album is sad and folky and steeped in sort of like the saddest version of New Wave from the 80s, plus a little sort of modern jammy stuff. This song is called Margaritas at the Mall. I talk a lot about uh, 
liking songs more than albums lately. This album is great the whole way through. It's definitely going to be one of my favorites of the year. Uh, let's take a quick listen to Marguerite's How long can the world go on under such a subtle God? has a touch of uh leonard cohen if leonard cohen were funny <laughs> um lots of really like over the top on the nose rhymes it's sort of sad but it's also very silly um as we know my lane that's my cat yep <laughs> sad but silly um all right i think that's it uh where can they talk to us about anything they've been doing if they so choose oh yeah. i'm gonna do that um because i was a big fan of do it <laughs> even though it's my turn um you can talk to us on the old email at motionnex at gmail.com. You can reach us at Twitter on at the next podcast. And I'm at Justin Hartung. I'm at Fanny V. Darling. We will talk to you next week. Bye.